Welcome to Mental Health Film Comment. This is Brian here with you. The 2020 film, I'm Thinking of Ending Things, has drawn a lot of conversation and discussion, et cetera, et cetera. Joining us today is Claudia Zapata with the forthcoming podcast, Running for Office, launching September 30th. Um, welcome, Claudia. Thank, thank you for um, joining us today. Hi, thank you, Brian. Now, um, I, I do want to mention the, the podcast is a commentary track format. And the reason that it's a commentary track format is to, and this, this may seem like a silly reason, but it may not, depending on where you are out there, um, it's basically to remind you that you're not alone. I know that many people listening will, will say, what do you mean I'm not alone? Of course I'm alone, I'm the, I'm the only one here. And so I'm here to watch this movie with you. Uh, Claudia is here to watch the movie with you as well. It might not be the whole movie, it'll probably be a part of the movie. Um, when you um, have someone to go to a movie with, when you have someone to watch a movie with, movie watching can be a social activity, but when you do not, then it becomes a solitary or um, a solo activity. And, and so that's why we have this set up so that you can listen if you want to watch the movie at the same time or one or the other, entirely up to you. So if you would like to um, watch the movie while you're listening, uh, we'll be on the other side of the pause button. I did want to mention a couple resources also, just for your reference, a couple uh, crisis text lines. Um, in the US, you can text NAMI, N-A-M-I, or HOME, H-O-M-E, to 741. And in the UK, you can text SHOUT, S-H-O-U-T, to 85258. Now, um, Claudia, now, now this movie, I'm thinking of ending things. It's the, the, the most literal, and again, taking it to account literal for, for this movie could, could mean different things to, you know, any number of different uh, I, yes. scenarios. But, but just, and I, I want to clarify on a mental health uh, podcast that the most literal and immediate phrase that I took to mean would be that the, the character of the movie is the young woman visiting her boyfriend's uh, parents. And so the, the, as I understood it, the opening um, or the title of the movie pertains to her ending the relationship. Yes, Is that, that, okay. that's the way because the, the movie, you know, starts off with them riding in the car and basically within the first two minutes, she's like, I'm thinking of ending things. I don't know if I like him as much as I do. So I think it's very clear uh, in the very, very beginning what it's about. Correct. And I, I, the, and, and by, by way of plot, and, and, and if I'm dancing around the, the, the plot, it's not to be evasive, but the, the plot, what there is of it uh -huh. is, I guess, open to interpretation and, and various, um, depending on what, what someone brings to the movie. I, yes, I, I and I even say. think the word dancing, dancing around the topic <laughs> is a little bit of a spoiler too. Yeah, I do. But, yeah. but it's, it's you know, worth noting, but yeah. it's, it's such a fantastic film, I think, because of how vague it is and how it basically, you enter the psyche of this person, of, of the main character, Jake, and you experience what it's like to be him. 
very uncomfortable and unsettling, but you also get to see this is what he deals with. This is how he either one views himself or, or wishes his life was like. And um, I think sitting with those uncomfortable feelings sometimes is necessary for growth to come to new realizations. Oh, d definitely. The, the first part of the movie feels like a, it feels like a horror movie. It really yes. does have all, all, all the trappings and conventions of a horror movie. And there's that, that uneasiness that you refer to because when you're watching it, you don't know, okay, is it going to continue to be a horror movie or is it, and, and so many questions. Yeah. That, and, I, and I think that's that, I think that was done on purpose mm -hmm. um, to really show that the way that we interpret or fantasize things sometimes can be a very scary place for us. Um, even if we're the ones in control of our imagination and fantasy, sometimes it feels like we don't have control over it. And I think maybe that was one of the key things that they wanted to take away from the movie. And I have no idea. You know, the, the director, I've, I read a couple of interviews from the director, and he basically stated that he wanted it to be something that, you know, just made you uncomfortable. And that was the whole point of wanting him to showcase that um, or, or showcase the kind of eerie, scary feelings. But then later on in the film, it kind of takes a turn and you're left a little confused. But that was done with purpose. De definitely. One of, the, one of the things that caught my attention when I first heard about this was there is a, a scene early on where... The, the the young woman who when when they are um, leaving the, um, the parents' house, she goes on to a, a diatribe about the um, John Cassavetes movie, uh, "Woman Under the Influence," yes. with Gina Rawlitz, and this was that was that was a terribly surreal experience for me because I've I've not heard that movie be discussed in a in such a such a, a critical to the extent of, of dismissive manner that it was in movie. so that yeah, was and it's one of the most talked about parts of the film actually because exactly. that, that, because it's such a long monologue too and so yeah no i i definitely agree with you correct and 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 so if you are if you are watching the movie while you're listening that that's a, a scene to, to look to look forward to among <laughs> among many of the scenes to to look forward to um, now if I could ask what um, by, by, by way of um, like a, a, from the mental health um, piece of it what was the main take-home point that that you you saw from this as it relates to um, as it relates to, to mental health uh, so the way that I saw it, and I'm going to try to speak about it as vaguely as possible, <laughs> because if you're watching the film, I do not want to spoil it for you. C correct. Um, I think that its intent is to show how we grapple with different facets of ourselves, how we grapple with who we wished we were, what we wish our life was like, 
but then also the things that we are proud of. So for example, like I am, I'm a political junkie. And so, you know, at some points I'm very proud of that fact. And, you know, and it's something that I want to share with the world and it's something that I look for in other people. Um, But then there are times when I think and, and interpret that part of myself in a very different way. Um, to where I'm like, you know, maybe that's necessarily not the best for me because it's such a toxic, you know, landscape and it can lead me to feel very, you know, sad and alone sometimes mm-hmm. when I think about it too much. Um, and so I think that's the the main point of the movie is understanding who you are and those different facets of yourself and coming either to terms with them or realizing and accepting that there are some things about yourself that you cannot change and that just will always be true to you. But then there are other things that you may want to take a look at in order to change them um, to have the life that you would like to live. Correct. Now, now one thing I, I, I wanted to ask you about is on the, the politics thing, have you heard the... Um, idea that often when there's an act of art or literature or whatnot, that that can in and of itself be a political act. Yes. Have you, have you heard of that? That, because that's, that's just the coolest thing when, when I, when I first heard about that and, and, and you, and you look at it some more, you look at it some more and it's like, huh, you know, because that's a way that in many ways someone can be engaged in the political process. Yes. And and I think it can speak even more volumes than, you know, a talking head on air can because the arts makes you feel and it leaves much more interpretation up for what the person is, is, is feeling um, and, and their overall takeaway from it. Um, And so I think that's why I really wish to use my podcast Um, you know, in the sense of like mental health wise, Mm -hmm. in order to show the realities, you know, that we all, we all struggle with mental health issues. Like it's, it's not, and it shouldn't be some secret and it's not something that we should be ashamed of either. Um, because it's just part of what makes us human. If you didn't have some sort of internal conflict or consciousness, then you wouldn't be human. And so it, it, to experience sadness and loneliness is to experience life. And that in, in and of itself is a very beautiful thing. Um, and so I just, I want to remind people of that. Oh, definitely, definitely. And there is a line in the movie, and I think it's alluded to by both characters, where they, at one point, kind of poo-poo a lot of the platitudes, as they call them. And as far as like the, the you know, the, the, the doilies and, and quilted cushion yes. sayings that are offered. And so, so like you said, when, when, when there's that life's experience and being out engaged in the world, that makes those platitudes, as they're called in the movie, um, less of, of, a, of a driver in our lives compared to, you know, the more active engagement being involved. Mm-hmm. In, in the process. So, mm-hmm. so, I, so, so I thought that was an interesting uh, line in the movie as it, as it relates to... Yeah, and then I think there is... Uh, and if you're watching the film, um, when you get to the dinner scene, which should be... <laughs> 
hopefully pretty soon. I think it's pretty soon in the film. Yeah, if you're watching, they are they are still driving. Okay. Um, well, there will be a dinner scene. I won't give too much away. Um, but during that scene, they're discussing art at one point. And one thing that it really intrigued me was the fact that um, one of the parents was very receptive and very eager. And one of the other parents was like, well, no, that just doesn't make sense to me. You know? Exactly. Yeah. And the way that once you finish the, the film, you come to see like, okay, is this something that the main character is thinking? Is this a thought that he's had to where maybe, you know, some art is, you know, overappreciated. Um, but then there's this other side of him that really loves art and can get lost in it. Um, and so I just, I thought that was a really interesting conversation. And it also just kind of made me giggle a little. It does. It does. Um, now, this is not a movie-specific podcast, despite the name. So I'm not, I'm not going to get into too much of the of the casting choices. Suffice to say, if if the parents look familiar, that's that's because they are um, somewhat recognizable um, actors fr from other movies. And there was a creative choice, I guess would be the right word, as far as how the parents are portrayed in in terms of the, the, the passage of time. Yes. And um, I mean, I thought and that I, and I, tried was, to give that, I tried to give that as vague as possible. Yeah. Um, but I, I loved that part <laughs> of the film. And I think that also the casting choice was mm -hmm. done on purpose because once you see who the actors are, you kind of, you don't forget the roles that they've played in the past. Mm -hmm. And I think that was done on purpose because they bring some of, they're so recognizable Definitely. that they bring some of that past character to them, to, to, to the parents. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it, it all just feeds in so perfectly. Like I know that this was such a detailed and well thought out process um, as far as creating the movie goes. Um, because even just a lot of the dialogue, although it's so, I, I, I don't want, I don't want to say simple, but there's a very, like, there's no real, really strong, um, like musical soundtrack that follows it. Oh, if that makes exactly. Sense. Exactly. And that's one of the things that it's, it's, I'm glad you mentioned that because that is one of the things that really caught my attention. Like the first, probably nearly the first half of the movie probably more than him. I think half. yes, more, yeah. It's there's no there's no soundtrack. Usually you're used to some musical background cueing you how to feel or whatever. Uh -huh. You actually hear you know that you hear the car keys, you hear the you know there's no background music in a majority of of the film. And I think that just makes it feel even more realistic. Mm -hmm. Because in real life, we don't have background music. Exactly. When we're, yeah. You know, when we're sitting in a car having a conversation with our significant other, <laughs> you know, generally it's just, you know, me and the other person. And, you know, and it's not some fanciful, you know, unrealistic version of reality. True. True. Um, so for those who, who are watching, there is a scene, I'm, I, I'm not going to elaborate on, but a, a scene, a brief scene in, in a high school. And 
there, there's a, a character in, in that high school who, would you say that that, that is a character that they, they should be mindful of to keep in mind as they're watching the movie? Yes, I, okay. I, because if you don't keep that that one person in uh, mind, the rest of the film is going to hit yeah, you like an eighteen exactly, year. Exactly, and and there is um, a, a somewhat of, of an inside joke. Um, this is not not a spo- not in the spoiler category, but there the when it cuts back and, and there'll be a scene coming up where it cuts back to the like a, a fictional movie that uh that that's being watched and it's smack dab in the you know not quite the middle of the movie but towards the beginning uh the movie's ending so there's a, there's a movie ending that's towards the beginning of a movie so there's like a, a meta element yeah like a meta transition exactly almost. yeah <laughs> because then almost it, it almost coincides perfectly with the next part of the film, I guess the feelings Correct. that it relays. So yeah. yes, I, and I didn't even notice that until you spoke of it. Because <laughs> the thing that, I, that, that kind of caught my attention is, and I'm not gonna mention that, that I'll, I'll sort of leave that as a surprise, but it's a director known for, for the most part, mainstream Hollywood movies. He's not someone who's known in the same manner as a, a Charlie Kaufman who, who directed this movie. Um, granted, there have been some some more recent movies he's done that are outside the, the Hollywood um, system, but for the most part, he's, he's for the most part equated with mainstream Hollywood movies. And so, to see like the directed by little blurb in the movie was just <laughs> I got I got a kick out of that. Yeah, I did. I, whenever I it started playing. I was like, okay, this is an interesting portion. And then by the time that it, you know, it it comes to the end and it says who it's directed by, I was like, was that done like on purpose or as a joke? (laughs) And, and that's the, and that's the part that I liked about it because I was unsure of what to think. Yeah. Well, one thing I, I wanted to mention also is as, as far as the um, the political side of it and, and the community side of it, as they're as they're driving to, um, to to his parents' house, there's more than more than a few passing references to the the, the town that you're driving through. Yes. Uh, whether it's the comment about about the, the swing set and if the people were just moving in, so th- it's almost like this. There's this backdrop of what's going on in, in that community, because if it's so blatant enough that something as innocuous as, as a swing set prompted their attention, you almost have to wonder, well, what else is going on in this town? Yeah. That I, I guess I think it what it might be discussing you know in the overall theme of the movie is the feeling of no community mm-hmm. um and i think that's in for example and i think we've already passed this scene in the movie where she points out the swing set mm-hmm. um but you know when she points that out he just seems so confused he's like what do you mean like there's <laughs> nothing else out uh, here yeah and yeah. i think that says more about how he feels that there's no sense of community in which he belongs. Mm-hmm. Uh, true, true. And, and it's kind of weird that it 
there's almost this juxtaposition between present day and, and high school and going back to that that passage of time thing that is sort of like a, a re recurring motif throughout the movie mm -hmm. and but specifically that that juxtaposition between the high school and present day and everything that 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 came between that yes was something that that i that i um found fascinating and, and again it's something where if you watch it more than once which i will probably be doing undoubtedly there's going to be more stuff that just just pops out at you it's you're definitely going to have to watch this more than once yeah. <laughs> so don't feel bad if by the end of it you are left confused and you feel like you saw a whole bunch but also didn't absorb a whole bunch because i think that's that's how everyone is left feeling so it's definitely one where you do have to watch it more than once and hopefully you know if you're playing this commentary you also can take away different points of view or shine light to different things that you may not have noticed first time around. Definitely. Now, one of the um, concerns that inevitably I would imagine would uh, greet any, any comment about this film is that it's not a lot of actually zero car chases and zero explosions uh -huh. at a very dialogue driven movie i mean despite the, the the feeling of dread and awkwardness and whatnot it is still i mean extremely dialogue which which i love i mean i love movies that have nothing but dialogue nothing but talking and you can just lose yourself in, 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 that, in that dialogue. And I think it just requires you to pay even more attention <laughs> to it. Um, exactly. And so I really, really liked the, that aspect of the film um, because I think even, you know, just in the, if we take that idea and apply it just to mental health overall, mm -hmm. um, that's the way that we live in real life, in real mm -hmm. time is there is nothing except for dialogue and we choose to play music when we want to play music it doesn't automatically play for us mm -hmm. to tell us how to feel and so it, it's just mimicking the real life that we live every day um and it's and i think that's why it seems really eerie and scary to a lot of people you know especially to me it, it at least yes. did um is because it's so realistic it's so realistic but at the same time very fan fantasiful fanciful mm -hmm. um at the same time uh but i really enjoyed it because of the the dialogue heavy well also just the 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 setting being and presumably in in the winter with with all the or at least the fall if, if not the winter um with with all all the snow and as opposed to if it were in, in the spring and summertime with you know birds chirping and and, and sun sun everywhere and, and whatnot um it sort of lends itself to 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 what you're saying about the you know the the interior um you know mindset of of of, of the characters yes and and i think also it it might and i don't like i said i might be reaching here because i'm not the the director of this yes. um but i think it also might um have something to do with maybe a commentary on seasonal depression mm -hmm. um about how you know that's very much a real thing how generally the weather can dictate how we feel 
and vice versa. Some people thrive in wintertime because they see it as a time to, you know, get snuggly and make hot chocolate and stay indoors and watch films. But for others, it's something where they cannot find peace in that quiet, in that kind of desolate kind of area. Um, some people have, you know, a hard time finding um, comfort in that and enjoy in that. And, and I'm one of those people to where I generally like it sunny, you know, birds chirping because yeah. it makes me feel better. Um, and, and so I think maybe there, there was that, not only is this what this character is feeling, you know, kind of this sense of like isolation and colds and loneliness, but also the cold and, and winter snow is also dictating how he feels. Correct. And, and I'm glad you mentioned that because with my own anxiety, it has gotten um, a, l- a little more uh, nerve-wracking with, uh, and if you're listening to this podcast um, present day, um, it's being recorded when there are some fires going on in, in the Western U.S., which has had a direct correlation to, uh, you know, adjoining Western states. And so there has been just this weird seasonal um, vibe when I look outside the window at nine in the morning and it's, it's like dusk outside because of the conditions in, in, in the neighboring state. Mm-hmm. And, and so, so it's, like, it's like you wake up and, you know, that's the first thing that you see. It's obviously going to dictate a little bit of how you feel. And, you know, and on top of that, even just the understanding, the reason why it looks the way it does outside, you know, why it looks so smoky and foggy, yeah. even just the reason behind it is, is something that can make one sad. Luckily, I'm in a part of the U.S. I'm, I'm in Austin, Texas. Okay. Um, so I don't really have, I, I'm not really experiencing it much. Okay. Um, however, um, so I, I guess to, you know, a little bit of background about me. Um, I suffer from major depressive disorder, um, adjustment disorder, and then a little, it's a, a newly recognized eating disorder called ARFID, um, which is avoidance and food restriction and intake. Um, and a lot of this came about because in the beginning of June, I was diagnosed with a, a voice disorder um, slash breathing disorder, and it's called vocal cord dysfunction. Um, what, what, is, what is it again? It's called vocal cord dysfunction. Oh, okay. Um, and so basically the way that I explain it to people is that there are times when your vocal cords are supposed to be closed, you know, and that's generally like when you're drinking water or eating food. And there's times when it's supposed to be open, you know, which is when you take in like a breath of air or or breathing through your nose. Um, However, people who suffer from vocal cord dysfunction, their vocal cords can spasm and open and close at any given moment whenever they feel like it. Um, And there's different triggers for that. And one of those triggers being smoke. And so I'm in this Facebook group specifically for vocal cord dysfunction. Mm -hmm. And there's quite a few people who are located in the Western US Mm -hmm. and my heart goes out to them because they are suffering Um, because one of the really big side effects of vocal cord dysfunction is losing your voice, Mm -hmm. which is why it's common, uh, 
commonly referred to as a voice disorder. And so um, there's a lot of uh, folks, you know, who have different disabilities um, that are being, you know, also not only like mentally, but physically that are also being affected by the fires. And so my heart goes, you know, goes out to them as, as well. Yeah. Well, how, how have you been feeling um, last, last few months? Um, so I, I, I'll take everyone on a real quick uh, journey that ends off on a, on a high note. So that's oh, good. 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 Um, so back in April, I had a really, really bad cough, could not stop coughing for the life of me, almost like choking to death. Um, and I got tested for COVID six different times in that month. Um, and each came back negative. Mm -hmm. So uh, my doctor started me on inhalers and I had an albuterol machine, mm -hmm. but nothing seemed to be able to stop me from coughing. Yeah. However, it wasn't until I basically went to my doctor's office and I had a breakdown in her office and I was sobbing yeah. and saying, I don't know what else to do because I feel like I'm going crazy because nothing is helping me. Yeah. Um, and finally, she referred me to an allergist who actually is the one that said, hey, this actually might be vocal cord dysfunction. <laughs> it mimics asthma, but it's not asthma. And so I saw a speech therapist who confirmed, hey, yeah, this is vocal cord dysfunction. It's not something you can die from. You'll just, at the very, very worst, you pass out. Mm -hmm. um, and so that gave me some comfort. Yeah. Um, however, because I had been going in and out of treatments of trying to figure out what was wrong with me, I started actually feeling like I was crazy. So my anxiety was extraordinarily high. Mm -hmm. My depression was high. Um, and because I couldn't stop coughing, I was having trouble eating things too. Yeah. Um, so between the beginning of May and the beginning of June, I had lost 25 pounds. Yeah. Um, and I was basically living off of an insure a day because yeah. I knew I needed something in my system. But I also just couldn't chew food because I couldn't swallow it. Because you're, it you're no, when you say you're talking about those those meal drinks. Yes, yeah, those, those yeah. And I was drinking the chocolate ones mm -hmm. to try and get some, you know, sugar in me and the ones mm -hmm. that have like extra protein and, and whatnot. Mm -hmm. Until finally, there was a point to where I think my body had entered starvation mode. Mm -hmm. um, and it was waking me up at all hours of the night, basically telling me to get something to eat. Um, and it was maybe about two weeks of that feeling and living with that um, and countless hospital trips um, until I finally broke down and I was like, you know, I cannot do this. I, I cannot live like this. And, you know, I'm starting to get intrusive thoughts and I do not like it. And that is not what I want for myself. So I'm going to seek help. So I am very thankful that I have a wonderful support system between my mom and my partner. Um, and I went into intensive outpatient therapy with a behavioral health center here in Georgetown, Texas. Whoa. And that was um, extremely helpful. It was very long. Mm -hmm. yeah, so if you're going to yeah. do intensive outpatient <laughs> yeah. therapy, yeah. you really, you are committing to it because it was four hours a day, every day. Yeah. Um, and I, it was, you know, cognitive behavioral based therapy. Um, and I, I loved it. I absolutely loved every part of it. And it, it was a group focus. 
Um, so all of my time was spent with, with a group of other individuals who were going, you know, maybe not exactly what I was mm -hmm. going through, but we all were feeling ultimately mm -hmm. the same thing. So that was, you said that, that was the IOP, intensive outpatient? Yes, intensive oh. outpatient therapy. And I, I firmly believe that therapy helps. And there is a therapist for everyone or an a licensed uh, social worker, a licensed mm -hmm. clinician, there is someone out there for you who will work for you and there are different methods as well. And so I think one, one thing that I want to know is that if you are thinking of seeking out um, mental health services, but you're afraid that you won't find something that's right for you, one thing that I had actually my nutritionist point out to me, she was like, you know, you're paying me to help you, right? Mm -hmm. Like that's yeah. the way that it goes. Yeah. Yeah. So you control the type of therapy that it is that you want. So if something isn't working for you with your therapist, you tell them and you speak up and say, hey, actually this is this, whatever it is that we're doing right now, it's doing more, me more harm than good. Mm -hmm. I'm not finding it really helpful. And most therapists will actually say, oh, okay then. And they have different methods because they're, they understand that there's different ways that people receive therapy and there's different ways that people react to it. Yeah, there, there's different mod modalities. I, I know like e EMDR. That, that, I'm actually doing one. EMDR e right cool, now. Yes. Cool. And I, I will say that if you are doing EMDR or if someone has recommended that you do EMDR, stick with it. It is very, very, very intense. Uh, I would say like the first two sessions, but it levels out and it's actually something that on a weekly basis that I look forward to. Cool, cool. Well, I'm, 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 gl I'm glad you're definitely in a better place. Right, right yeah, now, I mean, thankfully, too, and I'm also yeah. put on some weight as well, uh, yeah. which is good because that means that, you know, I'm eating and that, yeah. and that I'm doing yeah. much better. Um, yeah. But yeah, and so that's really after I experienced all of this and, you know, experienced it during the summertime, which is usually my favorite time of the year. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, I kind of had this fire lit underneath me and saying, you know, you're doing all of this. You went through intensive outpatient therapy you're you're being really open and you're doing a lot of self-realization you're doing emdr and so why not do something for yourself do something yeah. that you've always wanted to do and that to me has always been running for office i've always thought that's something that i've wanted to do since i can remember and so i figured you know why not do it now and there's so much change um and so much i think at the same time, we're living in a world that's both very close-minded and open-minded at the same time. <laughs> and so it, right now is the time to make change and to be, and this is such a cliche quote, um, but be the change that oh, you yeah, want to yeah. see in the world. Um, and I, I hate cheesy, <laughs> corny, corny quotes like that, but it just fits so yeah, you, well you, with this. Yeah, and you can see one of the characters in the movie say that that's a platitude too. Yes, <laughs> but no, that, that definitely would be a platitude. Um, kind of like the hang in there where it's yeah. like the cat hanging yeah, off the ledge. Exactly. Yeah. yeah, or the, those, um, those motivational posters you see in, in Yeah, where it's like, shoot for the stars. 
years. <laughs> yeah. You know, even yeah. if you miss, you'll land yeah. along the moon or something like that. Yeah. Um, but yeah, and so I, I think that that's the reason why I decided to to do what it is that I'm doing with my podcast um, is to to help shine a light on you know mental health issues and just be real and open and honest about my background and why I want to be in office and why the things I've experienced make me want to help make the world a better place. Definitely. And the, the, and running for office, that's representing and, and rep- representation is a key, a key thing, obviously not yes. with, with movies, but actual literal representation. Uh-huh. And so that's when that I, 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 the older I've gotten, the more I, the more strongly that I tend to feel about it. Because if you have, what is it, 100 senators in, in, in the U.S. and you have maybe a handful who even acknowledge um, parity in insurance, for example, mm-hmm. that's something that I, I, I see, I see the stuff like that and it just makes me scratch my head. Like, it's like, why isn't there equal uh, footing with insurance billing or with treatment options? So stuff like that where um, have, having that... Um, be, be acknowledged in, yeah or in and even I, and you know and even better to top that having someone who's been through that exactly openly exactly. discusses it and then does something about it you know to to help fix the situation um and so i think that's where my passion comes from um is by you know having experienced you know especially like on the mental health side of things like having experienced you know intrusive thoughts having experienced um, I guess health inequity, you know, when I go to the hospital as a woman of color, um, at least like during, I want to say like five out of my eight total hospital visits over the Mm -hmm. summer, um, it was always like a male attending physician ER Mm -hmm. and he would always write me off and say, oh, you have this thing called globus hysteria, which is basically just saying that you're having anxiety and it's making you feel like you're choking when in reality after i got scoped and there was they actually went in and looked at my vocal cords they saw that they were physically opening and closing Um, and so even just that health inequity having experienced that myself it makes me want to do something about it and actually go and speak about my own experiences because that definitely is happening to more than just me well, yeah, and, and and plus, you have you would have more credibility talking about the matter. It's it's it would not be someone lobbying you, so to speak, but it would be you you yourself. Yes, and I think that's table. maybe one of the fears and why we see politicians, or at least uh, you know lifelong politicians, act the way that they do, mm-hmm. um, kind of act as if they've never done anything wrong in the world, as if they've you know never been through a real hardship, or as if they don't struggle with like mental health issues, mm-hmm. is because uh, for some reason for the longest time there's been this idea of what. Um, is shameful and what is not shameful and things that you should be embarrassed about and, and, and hide. Um, and I think that it's time that we just change that. There's, you know, there's nothing that we should be embarrassed about except for making like, you know, maybe liking platitudes. <laughs> um, <laughs> yeah. you know, maybe that's the one thing yeah. that we yeah. should, you know, maybe yeah. hide a little bit. But other than that, you know, you have to be open and, and, and honest with people because that's how you truly make a difference is by 
living your life, you know, to the best of your ability to be true to, to, to who you are. Correct. And, and one of the things, and, and I'll try to um, phrase this without mentioning the elected official's name, but there has been a noticeable difference. And I'm referring to the, the, the highest office in the land, and I, uh-huh. I'm not going to use the person's name. Okay. But um, I distinctly remember that uh, prior um, occupants of, of that office uh, and I, I'm specifically thinking of people like um, George W. Bush was super outspoken about his his um, drinking troubles, for example. Yes. And and that's just one example. I know that there there are probably countless examples over time, but for some reason, the current occupant, I don't recall him having any such um concession or acknowledgement acknowledgement of, of what <laughs> yeah i, I mean uh-huh. am i am i mistaken in that because i don't recall him ever acknowledging stuff that's going on yeah and, and that I... would and that would be like a first at least in my lifetime because <laughs> all through all through school you know you read about lincoln and, and what he what he was dealing with and you know all the way up to even you know either of the of, of the bushes and then you look at <laughs> Now. Uh-huh. And it's like, I don't even know if it'll show up in, well, undoubtedly it'll show up in, in biographies at a future point in time, if not already. But I sometimes wonder like how things could be different if something as basic as simply acknowledging it could, could, could be said. Yeah. And, and, and I think that when you look, just that, like even from a historical point of view, when you even look back at some of the most well-written political speeches of our time, they all acknowledge a bad. They all acknowledge negative, whether it's a negative, you know, being, you know, like our community is, you know, at war with, the, you know, amongst each other mm-hmm. to a negative such as like, you know, I didn't foresee this as a leader, but it's the position that I've been put in and I'm trying my best. Um, they've all, all of the greatest speeches have acknowledged that. And I think maybe that might be the appeal to to some folks um, is the fact that they have grown up in in a sort of environment where those are the things that you hide and that you never talk about. Mm-hmm. So seeing someone who is exactly like them is the reason why they are so supportive of him. Yeah. Um, and because they feel like they're being represented, um, you know, to where you always have to, you know, have this very like macho, very charisma, machismo is like the best way that I can put it, yeah. um, type of attitude. Um, and then, but, but a lot of that though is, is BS. A lot of the, I mean, a lot of the, that is as far oh, as. Oh, definitely. Uh, and as a, as a Mexican woman yeah. raised in a Latin household, yeah. I can 100% say <laughs> that that is all BS. Yeah. Yeah. yeah say, what, say what you really think, Brian. No. Right. Yeah. Um, no. Um, no. What would you say for those who. Um, who are going through a hard time, whether whether it's uh, with depression or, or bipolar, and you know, up and down roller coaster type of week, and they 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 want to be involved and they want to vote and they want to register, and which people should be doing. I, I you know, my, my PSA moment, so okay. vote. Um, but for, what do you say for those who will feel apprehensive of it 
because of how upsetting it can be? Um, well, one is I agree with you because that is something that before I decided, you know, I'm going to run for office, I was like, you know, hold on a second because it can be a very toxic place. And if I am putting myself out there like this, you know, I already deal with anxiety and depression and that's brought upon by myself. Yes. Can I imagine, you know, battling with anxiety and depression brought upon by the judgment of others? You know, is that something that is worth doing that, you know, I'm strong enough to do? And the simple answer is, I don't know. And I think that's what I want to tell you is that the fear of not doing something is worse than doing the actual thing. Um, so well, for some, example, something like, um, like an absentee ballot, that would, would you say that would be a, a workable, um, you know, solution or, or compromise for those because it's something that it, it just sits on your kitchen counter and you don't have to do, basically you can respond in due time and there's do so there's not. Oh, um, yes, definitely. So there are, and I believe that um, depending on which state that you're in, some states are um, one allowing a longer deadline for like absentee ballot mm -hmm. voting. Um, or there's different states that are now allowing like drive-through voting. Uh, they're setting up like drive-through polling areas, um, which is also something that's super easy. And I, I mean, as someone who gets some sort of social anxiety from time to time, especially during the time of COVID, where I don't really want to be around a lot of people, the idea of being able just to hop in my car and play my favorite music while I cast a ballot, <laughs> to me, that sounds like something relaxing. So it's actually Definitely. something to make enjoyable. So kind of make, make the, the voting process work in your favor. Words, exactly. Available. Okay. If, if it scares you, do something along with it that makes you happy, you know, that, that excites you. Mm -hmm. So, um, for example, the first time I ever cast a ballot, I was actually living in New York mm -hmm. um, and I was so excited and I was like, oh my gosh, I've waited for this moment my whole life. Um, and in order to make it even better, I decided to walk down to the Freedom Tower and fill out my ballot there and then send it off and mail it from around there because it just made the moment that much greater for me. So you can take something and make it what, you know, what you want. Cool. Cool. Yeah. That's, um, look at that. And I'll reiterate again for those listening, definitely vote. If you're in the U S register vote, <laughs> it's, a very important election this year. So it is so extraordinarily <laughs> important. And um, if yes. you are, are needing any assistance or if you need to register to vote, period, um, you can go to turbovote.org. Um, and what they do is they ask you questions online and they pre fill out the voter registration form for you. And then what they do is they mail it to you pre-address it to your registrar's office and prepay the envelope as well. So that way, all you literally have to do is go online, type in some of your information, wait for the thing to come in the mail, sign it, and then send it off. And because it's already paid for, so it requires literally almost zero movement from you versus going back and forth from the mailbox. And that's tur tur Turbo Vote? Yes, TurboVote.org. Tur TurboVote.org. Cool. Yes. Um, now, those who, who are still watching the movie, there's that dinner scene 
is it just me or does that have a huge Eraserhead vibe to that um, that David Lynch movie Eraserhead? Yes. There's it's it's got a huge Eraserhead vibe. I've just noticed this right now, where um, this would this would fit in a David Lynch movie easily. The, the, because the, of the changes. Scene. Yeah. Yep. It. <laughs> um. But yeah, the I, like I said, I can't emphasize enough the importance of um, voting and and the options available to um, have it be less um, hassle and less um, you know cumbersome. Mm-hmm. Um, so I I do want to um, thank you for um, being here today with us. Oh well, thank you. I'm and, glad that that you reached out to me. I, I very much enjoyed our conversation. Oh, l- likewise. Now, um, for those listening, I, I I did want to mention a couple of resources, so you're uh, aware of these. There is a National Alliance on Mental Illness at nami.org. There's also Mental Health America at mhanational.org, and a, a couple of the. Um, hotlines available. There is the National Suicide Prevention Lifeline, which is 1-800-273-8255. And there's also the NAMI helpline, which is 1-800-950-6264. Are there any others that that I did not mention that that, that I should mention also? Um, The one other that I would provide would be the Trevor Lifeline Mm -hmm. from the Trevor Project, which focuses on the LGBTQ community. Mm -hmm. Um, And they can be reached at 1-866-488-7386. Just from the for the Trevor Project, that's eight six six four eight eight seven three eight six. Correct. Correct. Cool. Okay. Well, um, so I do thank you for 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 being here um, today. Um, like I said, the, the commentary. I don't think it'll be the whole movie. Um, so if you yeah. are, well, we're leaving you off on one of the most distressing parts. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. So so that's one of the benefits, I guess, of the podcast because it is a. Um, confusing lots of different adjectives that that could apply um so you 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 do have some company for at least part of the movie so um stay safe and um thanks for listening and i will um talk with you next time Uh, okay uh